a slew of additional retirements from Congress are announced. The Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee advances 21 bills. And Congress extends government funding through early 2024. For the week of November 20th, 2023, from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., this is Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. I'm Matt Duckworth. Thus far, the speaker has heeded the lesson as we finish the appropriations process. Bipartisanship is the only way forward. As he once noted, when you have a Senate that's Democratic and a president that's Democratic, a Republican House, particularly one that just follows what the hard right wants, will not get anything accomplished. Of course, this CR doesn't do everything that we want. Kicking off this week's episode with news from Congress, where... The House and Senate passed a stopgap spending measure last week that funds some parts of the federal government through January 19th and others through February 2nd. The two-step continuing resolution was passed by the U.S. House of Representatives on Tuesday with 209 Democrats joining 127 Republicans voting in support of the measure. The temporary funding bill was then approved by the Senate on Wednesday in an 87-11 to vote. President Joe Biden signed the agreement into law on Thursday, less than a day before existing funding was set to expire. The package extends appropriations for military construction veterans affairs, transportation, housing, and urban development, agriculture, rural development, food and drug administration, and energy water development through January 19th, while funding for the remaining eight appropriations measures, including the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, extends through February 2nd. Congress faces an effective April 30th deadline to pass fiscal year 2024 appropriations, given that the most recent debt ceiling agreement included a provision to subject all discretionary spending to a 1% cut should a CR still be in place past that date. Speaker Johnson stated last week that it would be the last time he supports a short-term government funding measure. The continuing resolution was passed as further progress on fiscal year 2024 appropriations bills has stalled. House leadership postponed a vote on their Labor, Health, and Human Services Education spending bill last week after failing to secure enough support for its passage. The bill includes steep funding cuts for domestic agencies, including the National Institutes of Health. The chamber has also failed to move the Agriculture, Food, and Drug Administration, Financial Services, and transportation HUD spending bills. The Senate has passed only three of the 12 annual appropriations bills, covering Agriculture FDA, Military Construction VA, and Transportation HUD. The Senate is scheduled to return from Thanksgiving break on November 27th, and the House is expected to reconvene on November 28th. Builds off the months long work this subcommittee has done to improve patient access to care by addressing costs, Medicare coverage policies, and provider sustainability. In July, we held a first provider focus hearing, recently held another legislative hearing. That was Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee Chairman Brett Guthrie, whose panel last week advanced 21 bills. 
the bills under consideration were focused on lowering prescription drug costs, improving the Medicare program's coverage process, and addressing laboratory and physician reimbursement issues. The Ensuring Patient Access to Critical Breakthrough Products Act was advanced 21 to 6. Several Democrats, including full committee ranking member Frank Pallone, a Democrat from New Jersey, expressed concerns that the proposal could undermine the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services process for determining whether a medical product is reasonable and necessary. Democrats also opposed the Demipos Relief Act, which advanced 16 to 12. The bill would maintain the enhanced reimbursement rates for durable medical equipment instituted in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Energy and Commerce Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Republican from Washington, stated her intention to finalize offsets for the bills and technical assistance from federal agencies prior to a full committee markup. To view a list of the 19 bills passed by voice vote, you can visit hhs.com and click on the Policy Briefings tab at the top of the page. Mr. Chair, I want to uplift the findings of my new bipartisan white paper released today on this World Diabetes Day. It shines a light on the urgent need for Congress to finally address the high costs of insulin and pass federal legislation to cap the cost of insulin for every American who needs it. That was the voice of Senator Raphael Warnock, a Democrat from Georgia, who along with Senator John Kennedy, a Republican from Louisiana, released a report last week on the urgency of lowering the cost of insulin for all patients across the nation. The lawmakers have proposed to limit the out-of-pocket cost of insulin to $35 a month in the private insurance market and for the uninsured, similar to the insulin out-of-pocket cap for Medicare beneficiaries included in last year's Inflation Reduction Act. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the private insurance portion of the bill would cost $629 million over the next decade. The lawmakers point out that this price tag is significantly less than the $410 billion annual cost of diabetes. Warnock is pushing for a vote on the legislation by the end of the year. On January 30th, the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood and lots of other child development organizations warned Facebook. They pointed to a wealth of research demonstrating that excessive use of digital devices and social media is harmful to kids and argued that young children simply are not ready to handle social media accounts at age six. Some bipartisan news today were Senators Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat from Massachusetts, Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois who you just heard, and Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee, sent a letter to Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, requesting information related to the mental and physical health risks posed by his company's products, including Facebook and Instagram. The lawmakers assert that Meta, quote, concealed and misrepresented its extensive knowledge about the threats to young people on its platforms, unquote. Hello, this is Congressman Burgess, but soon to be just Dr. Burgess again. I know I surprised a great number of people by announcing the fact that I was not going to run for re-election earlier this week, 
And I just wanted to share with you a couple of thoughts about what went into that decision. That was the retirement announcement of another member of Congress this week, Representative Michael Burgess, a physician and Republican from Texas, adding to the list of those who will not seek re-election at the conclusion of their term. Burgess is the second highest ranking Republican on both the House Energy and Commerce Committee and House Rules Committee. He served as the top Republican on the Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee during both the 115th and 116th Congresses. Burgess also leads the House Budget Committee's Health Care Task Force and is co-chair of the GOP Doctors Caucus. During his time on Capitol Hill, Burgess has focused on health policy issues and has been a champion of Medicare physician payment reform. Burgess said, quote, It has been the honor of my life to have gone from a small-town doctor delivering babies with no prior political experience to elected to represent my friends and neighbors in the United States Congress. Several other lawmakers also announced their decisions to leave Congress in recent days, including Representative Abigail Spanberger, a Democrat from Virginia who's retiring from the House to run for governor of Virginia, Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Michigan who's a member of the Ways and Means Committee, and Representative George Santos, a Republican from New York, whose decision follows a recommendation from the House Ethics Committee chairman that Santos be expelled from the House. The panel released the results from an investigation into the lawmaker last week, which found substantial evidence that Santos violated federal criminal laws. Let's take a look into the future today, where the Senate has released a tentative calendar for 2024. The chamber's schedule includes a two-week President's Day recess, a two-week recess in late March and early April, another week in late April, two weeks around the 4th of July, and a five-week August recess, along with an October recess ahead of the 2024 elections. The lame duck session will include two weeks spent on Capitol Hill in November, and another three in December. You can view the combined House and Senate legislative calendar for next year by clicking on the link in today's show notes. Part of how we gather information. Um, There's a new emphasis on real-world evidence, and so we have greater acceptance of data from treatment use of different kinds that can actually be considered... That was Janet Woodcock, Principal Deputy Commissioner at the Food and Drug Administration, who last week announced her plans to retire early next year after nearly four decades at the agency. During her time at the FDA, Woodcock has overseen the approval of numerous critical medical treatments and played a central role in the government's pandemic response through her work on COVID-19 therapeutics. Woodcock has also been a strong proponent of reforming the clinical trial system. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf called her, quote, a legend in every sense of the word, highlighting her incredible mark on public health. Woodcock has also been the subject of some controversy in recent years, centering on her role in the opioid epidemic, as well as her support for the approval of the Alzheimer's drug, Adahelm, and a Duchenne muscular dystrophy drug, despite opposition from other agency officials. Some patients come with an extended family history and extensive knowledge of what this disease can manifest as and how screening can play an important role in preventing devastating outcomes from any of the tumors that are. That was the voice of Dr. Cameron Rathmel, who last week was appointed by the White House 
to serve as the next director of the National Cancer Institute. Rathmel succeeds Monica Bertinoli, who was recently confirmed by the Senate to lead the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Rathmel is an oncologist and kidney cancer expert who heads the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She's held key leadership positions at the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the Kidney Cancer Research Foundation, and the American Society for Clinical Investigation. Well, folks, I'm going to be signing a presidential memorandum in just a minute here to establish the first ever White House initiative on women's health research. It's an effort made possible by uh, Jill, who is a long champion in women's health. Winding down today, where the White House announced last week the establishment of an initiative focused on women's health research. The initiative will be led by First Lady Jill Biden, alongside the White House Gender Policy Council, and chaired by Carolyn Mazur, Yale Law School professor of women's health research, psychiatry, and psychology. The initiative will direct multiple federal agencies to issue recommendations to advance women's health research within 45 days. It will also engage with the private and philanthropic sectors to identify areas for additional investment. Final news today, where Drew Keyes has been hired as senior policy advisor for the office of House Speaker Mike Johnson. Keyes most recently worked as a senior policy analyst at Paragon Health Institute. Keyes previously served as a professional policy staffer for the Republican Study Committee, where he was the staff lead for the committee's health care task force. Keyes got his start on Capitol Hill in the offices of Representative Louis Gohmert, a Republican from Texas, and Tom McClintock, a Republican from California. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. For more information on this week's healthcare happenings in the administration and on Capitol Hill, you can visit our website at hhs.com and click on the Policy Briefings tab at the top of the page. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including the Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Did we miss a story you wanted to hear this week? If so, contact us on Twitter at HHSPolicy, and we may include it in our next episode. Have a great week and stay healthy.